Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show. I'm really excited to have you today, excited to talk about DMX channel modes. But before we get into that, there's a few uh, quick things that I just want to cover the first is if you have been enjoying this podcast, go run over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from, and leave a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds, and it helps the show out tremendously, all right? So we're we're here on episode seven. Um, I don't have any reviews yet as of this time, as of this recording. I'm, about, I'm recording about a week ahead right now. Um, and so it would be a really huge help so that, you know, when people are browsing through the store, they say, oh, we're in stage lighting. What's that? And then they can go ahead and um, see that someone's actually reviewed the thing and actually has an opinion and that there's some life to it. And so I know I know y'all are listening because I can see uh, the download statistics and um, it's really exciting just to to hear um, to see rather that, that you guys are hearing this and uh, are getting the information out of here are learning um, more and more every week. And so. That's a huge favor that I just want to ask. Thank you um, in advance for doing that. Um, and now I want to dive in to DMX channel modes, okay? So this is something that, that used to not be a problem, um, not didn't used to be a, a concern that people had, but now it's, it's really on the front of people's minds a lot. And so I want to talk about it. A lot of the lighting fixtures that you have are going to be able to put be put into a variety of different channel modes. What does that mean? Well, say you've got, you know, an LED strip light or a moving light or something like that. You could have control over all the different segments and attributes of that light, or you could just control it all as one unit. And there's really, you know, pros and cons to both. And, you know, there's no, excuse me, there's no real straight answer. So I want to answer this one piece at a time. So every time I'm specifying out a show and I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what channel mode do I want to put my lights in? There's three real considerations that I use, three things that I'm thinking about when I get into that. The first is the console, okay? So what console am I, am I using? How many universes are unlocked or parameters? Um, you know, how easy is it to control things? We'll, we'll talk about that a little more in a second. The second consideration is your programming time. And the third consideration is the final result, okay? And so I wanna talk through those three considerations and then after that, I'm gonna give some examples. Just talk through, hey, you know, here's here's how it really works out in the day to day. So the first consideration is gonna be your console. And of course, this could be moved to third sometimes, um, depending on if you have choice in the console. But a lot of times you, you may not have choice. It may be a console you own or the production company um, has already specified the console or that's just what they own. And so you're stuck with it. And so you want to look at, you know, all your lights and, and make sure, you know, that they're all going to fit within the console. So if your console has one universe of DMX output, you're not going to be putting all your lights probably in the highest channel mode because you'll run out of DMX channels. And and by the way, if you want to learn more about DMX universes, um, I'm going to link in the show notes, which is uh, learnstagelighting.com slash 007. I'm going to link in the show notes to an episode about what is a DMX universe. 
and uh, you but you run out of channels and when you run out of channels you can't control everything so you'll have to condense your fixtures down use less channels and you know you're gonna lose a little functionality but it, it's gonna be okay and so that's the first thing you want to think about with your console is you know can I physically fit the channels in my console the next thing you want to think about with the console is okay you know how much hands-on control do I have with this console and you know how easy is it for me to manage you know a whole bunch of channels of data and large multi-part fixtures etc some consoles do really well with multi-part fixtures other consoles don't do as well whereas other consoles are going to require you to patch those multi-part fixtures say it's an led strip light you know say you've got 12 segments of, of three channels red green blue each then it some consoles are going to require you to patch that as 12 separate three channel units and so you want to think about okay in this particular console you know what hands-on control do i have to to be able to select these units and, and manipulate them um and so you know that i'm still able to manage all these fixtures so even if you can patch it all even if you can fit it within the universes you've got is it is it practical you know on a hands-on basis when you're actually working with the console and programming which that slides in um to our second consideration here your programming time okay because anytime you're going to be using a higher channel mode on a given fixture it's probably going to take you longer to program in that mode okay because you've got more manual control possibilities and so it's going to take more time to work with it in, in general um, and that's that's a generalization i'm making you could you could argue with me and then that's okay but in general you know the more fixtures and and the more complex the fixtures are that you've patched and the more complex modes you've patched them in it's going to take longer to program okay whereas if you just have them in a simpler mode it's going to be quicker because there's not as many attributes that you're working with not as many fixtures and perhaps not working with multi-part fixtures etc okay and so if some of this is over your head that's that's totally okay um because the next thing i want to talk about is the final result okay i remember when this first um became clear to me i was where i was reading an interview once um about one of those big edm festivals i think it was the ultra music festival maybe um and you know they were talking about you know all these strip lights they have these led strip lights again that's kind of my my go-to example when i'm talking about dmx channel modes because you can take these dm you know say it's a 72 inch uh six foot strip light those are pretty standard in the pro market there's a couple different models that are real popular and you know you can split that guy into 12 different channel 12 different channels rather not 12 channels but 12 different segments each of three or four channels if it's rgb or rgba or rgbw etc okay and so you could have that unit literally as a three channel mode you know three or four channels or you could have it as 12 times three which is you know 36 or 12 times four which is 48 channels now four and 48 are numbers that are that are quite different and and you know there's a lot more cabling that goes into it if you run in that higher mode so the point i'm getting to here is you know the lighting designer for this particular festival said you know what this is a huge massive rig where the physical light you know it's like 100 feet from the closest person you know or, or even you know 30 or 40 feet 
And so, you know, the lighting designer made the decision to say, hey, you know, we've got so many of these things and they're so far from people visually that there's no point in running it in 12 segment mode, right? The Right? So this is the third consideration, the final result. Okay. You know, is this thing so far from people that, you know, and you've got a bunch of lights that, you know, no one's going to notice the difference between having control of 12 segments versus, you know, three or four or, or even one. And so, you know, even if we, as, as lighting people, as lighting designers and lighting hobbyists may be able to notice the difference and say, oh, you know, I really like how, you know, I get, you know, this nuanced control, just take a step back for a second and think about, okay, does it, does it really matter? Is anyone actually going to notice the fine control that I have? Because there's a good chance that, you know, on, on larger shows, if you're doing a larger show, nobody's going to notice. Or maybe if you haven't used the lighting before, you know, whether it's for a band or for a church or for a DJ thing, if you haven't even used lighting before, you know, just the fact that you're using lighting is a big deal. And so you maybe don't need to get into such fine control when you're just starting out with lighting because just using lighting and using it mindfully is enough. And so before I dive into the specific examples, I guess my point here is, you know, don't feel like you have to overcomplicate it. I remember when I was new as a lighting designer, when I was first getting started and, and LEDs were getting really popular, I always felt the need to put my LEDs or my moving lights in the highest channel mode possible. And I learned after a while that, you know, while that can be nice and while sometimes you want that level of control and, and you're going to have the time for programming um, and the ability to really show off what those lights can do. A lot of times, you know, it's just not worth the time that it takes. You don't have the time to program the audience or your client, um, whoever that is, isn't going to notice. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to do that. And so let's let's run through some examples. Now, I've already talked about a little bit, right? You know, an LED strip light, kind of like a Color Kinetics Color Blaze or, um, you know, a um, Chroma Q um, Color Force or, you know, Chave's got their um, their tour version of uh, whatever they call it. Um, Alation's got one too, you know, Blizzard probably has one too. Everybody's got, you know, a six foot strip light or something similar where you can break these down into a lot of different pixels, okay? And then you're also able on some of these newer strip lights to break them down into 8-bit versus 16-bit dimming on each channel. And so when you use 16-bit uh, dimming, you get a super smooth dimming out of your units, but it takes two DMX channels per color. So red would take two colors, green would take two colors, blue would take two colors, white or amber or whatever you might have would take two colors. And if you start to add that all up, you know, there's one, in fact, a newer um, color blaze unit that I've used that, for example, is literally red, green, blue, and then um, I think white, amber, UV. So it's got six colors, okay? And you can divide it into, I think, 12 segments, maybe more. So six colors by 12 segments is 72 channels. But then you can do that in 16-bit. So you can multiply that by two, and that's now 144 channels for just one unit. And so then you start to think about that. Well, you've got 512 channels in a universe. You divide that by 
144, and you can only put three of those units on a given DMX universe. And so all of a sudden, your DMX wiring has gotten confusing um, and complex, you know, etc. And so you got to take into consideration, okay, you know, do I really need and am I really going to notice that fine control? You know, is anybody going to notice, you know, say it's a band or a DJ thing um, and the lights are flashing and changing a lot. You know, is anybody really going to notice the difference between an 8-bit and a 16-bit fade? Probably not. If you're doing theater, if you're doing maybe an architectural install, something like that, you might say, you know what? It's worth using that 16-bit option on these fixtures, and it might be. You might say, okay, I've got the programming time. It's, it's worth using those 12 segments. Another example, I think I've, I've beat that one pretty well, is, you know, say you've got an LED washing. There's a lot of these out there. I'm using this as an example, the Chave Rogue R2 Wash, okay? And so this has this has three rings of LEDs basically on the face. It's a, it's a wash light, um, so it's like an LED par, but it moves. And it's got three rings of LEDs and has a bunch of different control options, okay? The first control option, the, the most channels you can do is 55 channel mode, all right? And in 55 channel mode, you get 16-bit dimming across all your zones, and there's, there's actually five zones. If you're interested, I will link to the manual, um, the product page from Chave, which has the manual on it, in the show notes. So you can see, basically, it's the center ring and then the two outer rings in top and bottom, and that gets you five zones, um, and as well as some different macros, etc. And you may say, well, of course I want all that control, you know, right? Right, of course you do. I mean, who wouldn't? It's a lot of fun to play with, um, a lot of fun to work with. You can create some really cool and unique looks. However, it takes a lot of channels. You know, on the opposite end of the spectrum with a unit like that, you can put it in as small of a channel mode as a 15 or 17 channel mode. And so in the 15 channel mode, you know, it's basically just, you know, pan and tilt, you know, coarse and fine. You're going to get the color mixing across the whole unit. You're going to be able to get that intensity control um, and not much else, you know, the zoom, um, but but not that zone control. And so what I like to recommend to people, if, if you don't know what to start with, with a unit like this, you know, an LED uh, wash unit with with multiple rings and zones and stuff, you know, if you're just getting started and you're like, oh, I'm not sure which to put it in, you know, I would I would go in the middle somewhere. You know, something like they've got a 33, you know, channel mode. It's 8-bit dimming instead of 16-bit, but you get some cool macros. And, and macros, you know, when you're working with fixtures that have a lot of channels, can really be your best friend, okay? And what a macro is, is this is something that the manufacturer has, has actually built in to the fixture profile for you to be able to just go ahead and select, you know, some different pre-recorded chases basically and sometimes they give you some options on speed and stuff like that where you know you can just pop in you know select one of these macros on your console screen and and you're going to be able to to get a cool chase you know across your units um, individually um, or or all your fixtures and so that can be a really great way to save on both programming time and um, on channel count as well because you know, you can quickly run out of DMX channels. And so I think so far I have uh, 
I've beat this topic um, about as hard as I can. Um, so I hope guys, you know, that this kind of helped you. If you're thinking about, okay, you know, I've got these lights, I can put them in, you know, even a simple LED par, you know, I can put it in three channel mode. I could put it in seven channel mode. I can put it in four channel mode. You know, what should I choose? And let me run through that quick, actually. Um, you know, so if you've got, you know, an LED unit, you know, a lot of times if you're on a professional level console, I would just patch them all with the simplest, you know, three channel, four channel mode because you don't in a professional level console, you know, say you're using Martin's M series or, you know, Camsys or a Vista or a Hog or an MA, whatever you're using, you're going to be able inside the console to control the intensity without having a physical DMX channel um, for intensity. You know, on a similar basis, however, on the other side of things, if you're using a simple console, you know, like a Chave Obey 40 or NTX DMXs, you know, something that's a little more entry level, you're probably going to want to go ahead and, and use that, say, four channel mode or seven channel mode that has, you know, things like intensity that has a strobe channel, etc. You know, these are attributes that you could easily generate in a professional level console, but when you're working with something more entry level, you may want to use that higher channel mode so that you're able to get a little more function a little more easily. So like I said, guys, I think I've uh, I've beat that pretty well. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Once again, show notes at learnstagelighting.com slash 007. And now let's dive into our mailbag. All right, everybody, welcome to the mailbag, the section of the Learn Stage Lighting podcast where I read questions pretty much for the first time and um, answer them here live on the show. So these questions come from learnstagelighting.com slash contact. You can fill out the contact form and I'll answer your questions um, on the podcast. As usual, guys, um, I also do, if you need more in-depth information, more in-depth coaching or step-by-step -step tutorials, I encourage you to check out Learn Stage Lighting Labs, and there will be a link in the description and on the show notes page as well. So Larry writes in, and he said um, he's been uh, watching the videos on Martin's M series. He's the tech director of a uh, fair-sized church and school that has several meeting rooms. They currently use a Jans Vista S3 console, and it's been serving them well. Um, they're running four universes of uh, a mix of different types of fixtures, and... His problem is that it's really difficult for his volunteer staff to get anywhere near mastery of it. Um, Larry says he has an extensive background in sound and video, but lighting's not really um, his strong suit. So he does want to get um, more versed with Vista, but it doesn't seem logical. Um, and he wants to have a setup that's more user-friendly for volunteers. So he'd like, uh, my opinion on um okay what kind of console would be good you know is is his assessment of vista right is mpc um you know easier to get a handle on etc um larry thanks larry so here's my take both consoles are, are are good consoles here's kind of the thing about vista um a number of years ago i was actually talking to a church tech guy about um a guy who does um tech at his church and and helps you know, install some other churches in his area. Um, he lives in a little more rural area, and um, and so he wears a lot of hats. Um, and he was asking me about the Vista, you know, and we were talking, and and at one point he he just pulled a phrase that I said, and basically 
threw it back at me and said, oh, so the Vista is a lighting console for non-lighting people. And I said, yes, um, that's, that's, that makes sense. Because what the Vista did when they came, when they first came out with it and when they designed the console is they said, okay, we want to have a lighting console, but we don't want it to operate like a lighting console. And so they basically took everything that the industry, you know, knew for lighting consoles and they flipped it on its head. They instead went back to, you know, computer programs. Um, it looks a lot like Photoshop or Adobe Illustrator. And they said, let's start with this, what, what people, you know, creative people, you know, know and design a lighting console that works around that. And so, you know, a lot of people, you know, start with Vista if they start, you know, by learning with Vista and, um, you know, just working with, with the Vista system have never worked with lighting before, you know, a lot of people can pick it up and find it to be not confusing. Um, and, and, and some people really like it and, you know, it's a solid console, you know, it works well, it doesn't crash. Um, you know, all the things you want in a lighting console, you know, I personally think, um, they're a little costly, you know, they're a little bit expensive, but some people, you know, say that that's really justified because they really like the platform. Okay. You know, I'm not a big of, fan of a platform for it, like I said, because it's the lighting console for non-lighting guys. And, you know, I, I just think they ask a little um, too much in price for their console. Um, but, you know, some again, some people say it's totally justified. So that just means that it's not the right console for me. And so NBC, on the other hand, um, is, again, another professional level lighting console. But it operates, you know, a lot more like what we know in the lighting industry as, you know, a standard per se lighting console. You know, you'll be in there typing things out like, you know, fixture, you know, blankety blank, you know, 72 at full enter, you know. And so it works a lot like how you're used to working with lighting consoles. If you've worked with, you know, lighting consoles of the past, like an ETC Express or Expression or Insight, you know, if you've worked with hog lighting consoles or camsys or um, grand ma you know these main um brands of consoles you know they have a lot of similarities and and they really work um a lot alike and so i'm not going to say that m series is easier than vista they're both professional level lighting consoles and they both have a learning curve however I'm thinking from what I'm reading from you, and I've taught a lot of people how to program in M-Series, um, as well as other consoles like MA. And so what I'm hearing from you, and what I think I'm getting is that, um, you know, is that with your background and, and the kind of, you know, person you are kind of as a technical person, I can see why you're not, the, the Vista is not your favorite, and something like MPC probably would be better for you or, or an M-Series console. Um, like they've got the uh, M2Go is a great console, the HD, really great little standalone console um, as well. And so and so I would recommend Larry just saying, you know, it sounds like you're running four universes. And so at that point, you probably want to be using a professional, you know, level console. You know, there's a lot of consoles that I recommend, like Intex DMXs and D-Pro that are designed for much smaller setups. Um, there's actually a new console out there that I want you to check out. I'll link to it below called Light Shark, and I'm going to have some more information on that as well. Um, the cool thing about Light Shark, and I think I've mentioned it here before, is that, um, you know, what it does is it kind of flips the PC console on its head. 
and it runs the console software on a piece of hardware and then you dial into it you know with a tablet and use the tablet or laptop as your screen or computer and so that means that if your computer goes down you know the console's still running and it's still outputting um and so i'm gonna link to that below as well larry but i hope uh this helped you uh, i could really go into the weeds on this one but you know, I, I think I've outlined pretty well the differences in it, but feel free to reach out. Um, definitely, if you need help with M-Series and that's the way you go, or like Shark, um, you know, hit me up and, uh, you know, we can talk about um, joining Learning Stage Lighting Labs where you can get more training in there, including some new M-Series training that I'm about to put out on there. So that's good as well. Um, Mike wrote in and Mike said, hey, can I use some LED strip lights for side light to wash the stage? He's got a 24 by 20 stage um, for some kind of dance thing. And he said, you don't have a ton of setup time. Okay, so this sounds like, um, so you were thinking two in the front, two in the back, um, just on, you know, um, some upright poles, some pipe and base maybe, with diffusion gel in front of the LEDs um, to wash the stage. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of setup time. So yeah, Mike, um, that can work decent. I'm going to say the, the problem you run into, and you can look at this, you were thinking about Chave H nines. I'm just going to check this here. Um, the problem that you run into with strip lights is they often have a really narrow throw because they're just meant to light straight up a wall. And so they don't light at a very wide angle. The other thing that I've noticed with LEDs, um, is that diffusion on an LED source doesn't work the same as it does on a conventional source okay so it doesn't spread the light um near as well as it does for a conventional source and my best guess i think you know and i've been studying this for a while is just that you have to get the diffusion further away from the lens for it to do anything and that's generally impractical um while it does help a little it doesn't do a lot but I see here, hey, these have a beam angle of 29 degrees and a field angle of 48 degrees. Um, and what that means, basically, these Chave H9s, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, what that basically means is the beam angle is the area um, of the light when you have a soft light like this until, you know, it's the, the hot center of the light, basically. It's until the light output is dropped to 50%. That's the beam angle. And then the field angle, which is 48 degrees or about 50, um, you know, is in, is the light beam until you're, you're down to 10% of the light on the edges. And so, you know, something like this would work. I would probably recommend, uh, you know, because you still don't have a ton of throw, a ton of width on them at 30 to 50 degrees. Um, I'd probably recommend putting them all, you know, at the front of the stage on poles and then kind of fanning them out. So one's kind of on the front part of the stage and one's on the back. And, you know, that will work okay. It's it's not going to be the best light you ever see. Um, it's not going to be, you know, all that, but it's going to give you that quick um, setup time as well. Um, you know, and that's really what you're looking for. And so I think that would help you a lot. Um, and, and putting them all up front, all four of them would save you in setup time as well a little too. So I hope that helps Mike. Um, Tayo wrote in and said, I'm Tayo from Nigeria and my church just started with lighting. He wants to know where he could get used lights, used lights to purchase and if it is advisable to do so. Um, and so there's a couple of caveats here, Tayo, that I have. The first is that um, this is going to be, you know, country by country. 
So I'm in I'm in the U.S. I mean, we have usedlighting.com, and we used to have Solaris Network, but that just got bought up by usedlighting.com. Um, VR, another major company, is starting to sell gear, um, but I don't think they're selling lights yet, and so on their site. So we'll just ignore that for now. Um, and so, you know, here in the U.S., you can go to usedlighting.com, buy some used lights. And generally, my recommendation is if you're buying it from Used Lighting Direct, which is a company called Four Wall, big production company here in the States, you know, you're in good hands because they take exceptional care of their gear and they turn it around pretty fast. Like they probably only own it for a year or two. And in that time, they take really good care of it. And then when they sell it, they always sell it in full working condition. They give you like a decent warranty for a used fixture. And it's a good buy. Now, you're in Nigeria. And so here's here's what you need to know about buying used gear. You know, I don't know of any place in, in Nigeria to buy used stuff. And the issue anywhere in the world with buying used stuff is you don't know what abuse it's had on it. And so I generally recommend, um, especially for churches, especially if you're just getting started with lighting, even if you're not in a church, to not buy used. Because while on the outset, it can seem like you're saving money, um, you know, you don't know what these lights have gone through. And, you know, I'd really hate for you, you know, a year down the road to be having, you know, serious problems and, and have lights that aren't usable anymore, which is a very real possibility when buying use. Um, you don't know how hard they've been abused. And so, whereas when you buy new, you know, if you're buying from, you know, Chave, Blizzard, or Alation, those are three really big names, you know, in the new market for, for entry-level lights. Um, and if you're buying new from one of those guys, you're going to get, you know, probably a two-year warranty on that light. So for two years, they're going to warranty this thing. And if you take care of it, it's going to last a lot longer in most cases. And so, that's my recommendation to you, Tile. Probably not what you wanted to hear, but... My ultimate goal is is to really take good care of you um, and, and take good care of your church. And so for that, I, I can't really recommend to you buying used. Um, and so I would definitely, you know, buy less lights or, or wait longer to buy new and, and get it right the first time and not have to buy multiple times and end up spending, you know, more money because you bought the wrong thing. All right, guys. So... With that, guys, thank you so much for listening today. Like I said, show notes are at learnstagelighting.com slash 007. And if you can do me a huge favor, rate or review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, iTunes, Stitcher, um, Google Play, wherever that may be. And that is a huge help to the show. I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks. And that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. Be sure to visit us at LearnStageLighting.com to see show notes, past episodes, and download a free guide on how to begin with lighting in your specific context. I'll see you guys on the site. Thanks. Thanks.